0: Welcome to the best of the Joe show here on 560 the Joe WQAM every single Monday through Friday six to seven going to try to bring you the best of what you've heard earlier in the day at this radio station. I'm Dan Day. Thank you so much for listening. Please get at us at 560 WQAM on Twitter also at Dan Day radio and of course you can text in just don't text and drive. Five sixty twenty that is the text line. Okay, got a lot to get to this evening. But first, before we get to the good stuff, got some good headlines for you. The Marlins lost both ends of a doubleheader yesterday in New York. They will attempt to redeem themselves against the Mets tonight, starting in about an hour at 7-10. The Dolphins are wrapping up training camp today in Davie. Miami's first preseason game is Thursday versus Atlanta, and you can hear it here starting with pregame at 430 on 560 the Joe WQAM. Inner miami CF has announced that Heineken is their first major commercial partner. The club plans to open MLS play at Lockhart Stadium in Fort Lauderdale this March. Ezekiel Elliott says he will not play this season without a new contract. The Cowboys running back is currently under his rookie deal through 2020 and is expected to make $3.8 million this season and around $9 million the next. Now on to weather brought to you by Hylia Park. Today's forecast calls for scattered thunderstorms with temperatures in the 80s. For the best poker promotions in South Florida, visit Hylia Park Poker Room. Come win your share of $350,000 in monthly high-hand giveaways. That's more than $10,000 a day in high hands. Why play anywhere else? Visit HyliaPark.com for more info. If you're sleeping off a hangover this morning or just... Plain sleeping, I guess that's what normal people do. You may have missed the Joe Rose Show. It's been on this station for about 100 years, even before radio started, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. They still do a great job. Joe Rose and Zach Krantz caught up with Super Bowl winning former head coach of the Baltimore Ravens and now NFL Network analyst Brian Billick, where he talked about whether he's more famous For winning a Super Bowl or for being the coach on the first season of HBO's Hard Knocks, which is actually debuting its new season tonight with the Oakland Raiders. That's going to be a whole lot of interesting stuff. Speaking of interesting, Billick also talked about some of those characters that he coached in the Ravens locker room, including Miami alum Ed Reed. And like everybody else, he put in his two cents on the Dolphins QB situation. Here it is on 560 The Joe WQAM.
1: Brian Billick from NFL Network going to join us right now. Also, the first head coach on Hard Knocks years and years ago. And that cast a
2: character. He had man. some
3: characters. Coach, you weren't bad either, by the way. Nice opening performance by you way back.
2: Yeah, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> I tell people all the time, I'm out and about, obviously, and then and out of the airports. And if ten people come up to me, six will say, eh, Super Bowl coach, great, yada, yada. Four of them will go, oh, hey, I loved Hard Knocks. That tells you the impact. That, that series has had over the last, what, uh, 15-odd years.
3: Coach, I always wonder: um, do guys still add, do teams ever ask you, like, hey, Coach, you went through it a long time ago
2: and you had some wackos on your team. Would you recommend it to teams to do or not? You know, I, I occasionally do get questions from coaches that are considering it. You know, for us, we were the first. So I had no one to consult to go, well, how did this work? Or, what did you think? <laughs> so they usually, and, uh-huh. and you know, coaches' instinct is, no, we don't want to do this. Now, keep in mind for us at the time what the driving impetus was to do it because my first instinct was the same thing. Hell no, I don't want that kind of intrusion in my camp. But one, in Baltimore, we're a small market team. We really are. For the fact that we're shoved between the Redskins and the Eagles. So, and that market is what it is, and, and we were a new organization, relatively speaking. Uh, plus, the minute you win the Super Bowl, all you hear is, "Well, you're going to keep them motivated. Are they going to get lackadaisical? Are they going to work as hard?" So, I thought, okay, this might be a way to motivate my team because if we're not going to be those things, then the whole world's going to see it. And I thought it did energize our camp. So, I thought it was a positive. Although I certainly understand coaches that have a you know are are re- resident about, thinking, res- hesitant to think. No, I don't think I want that kind of intrusion in our training camp life.
1: Ray Lewis, Tony Siragusa, Shannon Sharp. I mean, just oh, some the of, goose.
2: The goose was the character. Just a some character, of
1: those so. characters oh. in that locker room. I can imagine it was tough to deal with just to start off with. Then they're all at Hard Knocks together. Todd Heap is the rookie. He was one of like the the main uh, characters on the show. Coach, I go back and they sometimes played on NFL Network all the old episodes of Hard Knocks from the Jets and you guys, Cincinnati. I still go back, and if I had to watch one season over again, it's going to be yours just because of the characters you had.
2: Well, and, and we were the first, and 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 uh, uh, you know, I think it's great. It really gives you talk about. Now you got to go back a ways. Now this was really one of the first true reality TVs. I mean, this was real compared to a lot of what we call reality TV today, where you know it's manufactured. And uh, but this this was real TV. The passion, the compassion. The energy, the disappointment, um, I, I think it's a great franchise. I think it's good for the league. Uh, it's going to be interesting with the Raiders. I mean, obviously, John Gruden and his media background now and everything that goes with the Raiders, uh, this is going to be an interesting one.
3: Coach, had to be fun for you. Uh, another one of your guys in the Hall of Fame and Ed Reed, and he didn't let anybody down, man. He, I thought that was pretty special. What would you think?
2: Yeah, you know, and you saw what Ed's about. It was kind of a stream of consciousness uh, for him. Uh, other than confusing me with Coach Belichick, it was, it was quite amusing. <laughs> hey, uh, that's all right. We, we
3: got the message on yeah. that.
2: Yeah. Uh, but that's Ed, and obviously well-deserving, just a hugely lead. Maybe one of the smartest players I've ever had, his ability to analyze. I always go back to the Wayne Gretzky quote. Uh, you don't go where the puck is, you go where the puck's going to be. Well, Ed didn't go to the ball. Ed went to where the ball was going to be, and he was brilliant at it.
3: By the way, he get, you know, of course, he had to get us in it, talking about the greatest game he ever had was against Chad Pennington, who to this day is still going, I don't know how he kept intercepting my passes. I'm looking them off. I'm going a different. He says, I never had anybody do that to me the way he did in that playoff
4: game.
2: Yeah, and, and I thought Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's comment was very real in terms of the other Paul Famers that went in, whether it be Ty Law or Champ Bailey, you go into a game and having been a play caller, I know, okay, I'm just not going to throw that way. I'm not going to throw at Champ Bailey. I'm not going to be that stupid. Well, you can't do that with a safety. And half the time, you're trying to figure out where he is because you can't look at a structured defense and say, okay, the safety's going to be here. Well, with Ed Reed, you don't know that. And so you better have your eyes on Ed Reed or he's going to get the ball. Coach, what do you have? Four or five Hall of Famers that you coach there? What was that? Yeah, it's just so lucky. When you talk about, obviously, Rod Woodson uh, was in the oh, back. Oh jeez, We had uh, Ray Lewis. We had Jonathan Ogden. Now Ed Reed. Uh, I think you're going to see Terrell Suggs go in at some oh, point. In a heartbeat. Time. Yeah, slam dunk. So, uh, Did you already yeah. say Shannon
1: Sharp? Shannon Sharp too.
2: Yeah, right. Shannon yep. Sharp is there. Obviously, so very, very jeez. fortunate to have been around uh, some of these Hall of Famers.
1: Hey, uh, so
3: we don't have a lot of this in the NFL right now, Coach, but we have an open quarterback competition. I think it's the Washington Redskins and the Miami Dolphins. So everybody's wondering right now, Fitzpatrick's ahead of Rosen, but people are going, why are we doing this? Rosen needs to play. Everybody knows what the Dolphins are about. How would you handle that situation if you're the head coach?
2: Yeah, and I understand you like competition and it's open, but and I love Ryan Fitzpatrick and what he's done, but we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick's a placeholder. And so, do you want to just kind of survive? I mean, because obviously, going through, he's going to look good. He's a seasoned veteran. He knows what he's doing. Um, and and looking at you know, part of the thought may be you look at this schedule. I mean, my God, Baltimore, New England at Dallas Chargers. I don't know what you all did to piss off the schedule makers. That's quite an opening. You know, you could make the case if you wanted to that rather than throw a Josh Rosen, who clearly you need to find out if he can be your guy or not. Right. The number one thing for Miami needs to be by the end of the season, we have to have a definitive answer. Do we have a quarterback or don't we? I don't know. Maybe you start out with a Ryan Fitzpatrick and with that opening, then, you know, let happen what happened. And then now after the bye week, now you bring in Josh Rosen when you play Washington and Buffalo and the Jets. And, you know, maybe that's part of the thinking, But but I'm one that thinks, you know, you, you obviously traded for Josh Rosen because you believe he's a guy. Um, and and, and you, every snap he takes, if he's going to be your guy, is going to benefit you in 2020.
1: Coach, would you start Josh Rosen from the beginning if you were in the situation with a guy that you know is the stopgap guy and a guy you need to get some information out of in Josh Rosen?
2: You know what, my first instinct is to say yes, but seeing where Miami is right now and where they are with their talent level, you know, in that opening quarter of the season... I can see kind of okay. Well, well, you know, we did this in, in San Francisco when we drafted Joe Montana. We had Steve Deberg, who was a really good, solid quarterback. And Bill did not want to start Joe from the get go. He wanted to kind of ease his way into it. So the first quarter to the half of the season, Steve Deberg was in, and he got, I remember we were playing the Dallas Cowboys, and it was it was criminal to leave a veteran starting quarterback in there. That was the class. I mean, they were just absolutely demolishing us. But he left Steve in because he didn't want to expose Joe Montana to that until he could integrate him into as a starting quarterback. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe part of the thinking is if well, Fitzpatrick will hold up uh, that first quarter of the season, and then after the bye, we'll see what Rosen's all about.
3: You know, Coach, we were we were talking earlier about taking first round picks, and you know how it is. A lot of teams have missed on them. I mean, it's happened to every organization just about. The Dolphins just haven't done a lot of first-round picks since Marino, who's almost 60 years old. They've just drafted Tannehill in the first round, and that's it. Haven't done it. You think that's more about not being in love with guys, afraid you're going to miss on go- – Why? how do you explain for so many years an organization, in your opinion – you've been in those meetings – that you wouldn't take a shot on more first-round picks even if you miss?
2: Well, it is calculated risk, and not so much for the organization. It is the coach you go back and look at all those first round misses you'll notice the coaches aren't there anymore uh, cuz you miss on a first round pick you know you end up doing a radio show in Miami on a, <laughs> on a Tuesday morning instead of coaching a football team um and Gosh. so that is part of it. But, but on the flip side of that you you can't pass on what ends up being a great first round quarterback so you know you, you make your evaluation you take your chances obviously the AFC North has become the 2018 quarterback draft with Allen up in Buffalo, Darnold uh, up in New York, and now with Rosen in, uh, in Miami. So, uh, yeah, you've got a perfect example. Now, obviously, Miami's a little off the hook in that they're not carrying around the pressure that, that uh, uh, Buffalo and New York right. are with the fact that, you know, they made those first-round picks. Because if they end up not being good, somebody's going to pay a price. Uh, Todd Bowles already paid the price in New York. Obviously, Miami's got a little bit of a buffer from it in basically just giving up, a, 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 I think it was a second-round pick, didn't they? Or a second or third? Two and a five. So yeah, second-round pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so they've got a little insulation from that. But obviously, they did their homework, too. And their evaluation on these quarterbacks, they obviously thought Rosen could be a guy. And just remember, this is a team that, that a, a guy that uh, Arizona moved up and gave up picks to get up to the 11th pick to take Josh Rosen. So um, there's a lot of people that think he's a legitimate quarterback and uh, they've got him in the right spot, I think.
3: All right, I've got to ask you this. Cleveland a little too cocky for you, the way they're coming across you? Do you like it, the way the Browns no, are treated? No,
2: yeah, they, because as bad as Cleveland has been, they need to have a little of that bravado. And obviously Baker Mayfield, the question for me will be, and Baker Mayfield was brilliant in his first year, but particularly in the second half of the season, when he got in, he was playing with house money. It was like, okay, what am I going to do? throw an interception? And what are we going to do, lose another game? Like, who cares? <laughs> right. But now, now the expectations there. Now you're going to be good. Okay, so now he's got to be able if he can keep that two to one touchdown interception ratio and let that talent come to the forefront and then be better on defense. Um, they ought to be good. And, and if they handle that, how they're going to handle that, the question becomes if for whatever reason they start off a little shaky, and it may have nothing to do with Baker Mayfield's play, but if they start off a little shaky, where's the institutional confidence where the one player can look to the other and go, are we okay here? Because they don't know what it is to be okay. And that's going to be the battle they're going to have to face.
1: Brian, I've seen Khalil Mack and Von Miller talk about the x Tech shoulder pads and what, uh, what they did for those two guys. Tell me a little bit more about it.
2: Yeah, it's the best pad in the business. You know, take the head out of the game. So shoulder pads are all that much more important uh, and haven't changed in 40 years until now. The X-Tech pad, and you already mentioned it, guys like Khalil Mack, Andrew Luck, Matt Ryan, uh, OBJ, Eli Manning are all in the X-Tech pads. Teams like Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Baylor, across the board, uh, are, they're going to this X-Tech pad. It's the best protection we can afford our players. High school players, it's available to them. They can go to xtechpads.com or go to Instagram at X-Tech pads. Uh Best, best. I'm proud to be a part of this organization. I have two grandsons. If they choose to play football, they're going to be an
1: X-Tech Pads. X-Tech Forget about winning a Super Bowl. The guy's got a promo code. Use promo code COACH. 10% off your pad order at xtechpads.com. Brian, technology is unbelievable. Of course. Crazy. As always, so Brian, much. we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you as always. Thanks, Coach. Sounds great, guys.
0: Oh yeah, Brian Billick not down on the Browns. That was from earlier today on the Joe Rose Show, which can be heard Monday through Friday from 6 to 10 a.m. right here. Joe Rose, like Anchorman's Ron Burgundy, he's kind of a big deal. After all, they named the radio station after him. If that doesn't make you want to listen and download his podcast at www.wqam.com, I don't know what will. Speaking of big deals... Dan Levitard show now on this radio station from 10 to 1 Monday through Friday. Earlier today, he and his buds talked about how a parent's love knows no bounds. We'll hear that next on the Best of the Joe show. radio.com, radio. Radio. Radio.
3: Radio. radio.com.
0: This is the Best of the Joe Show right here on 560 The Joe WQAM. I am Dan Day, and you know there's a lot of Dans that were working here at the radio station last week. We decided not enough, so we kept all the Dans on and added another one, Dan the Man Lebitard. You can hear him now from 10 to 1, and oh man, those guys, they talk in sports, craziness, just being themselves. That's always fun. So let's play a clip from previously today where they were talking all types of good stuff like, does the NBA not have love for Linsanity anymore? Parents' ultimate love, Kobe being Kobe, and juiced balls. They said it! Juiced balls. I kind of like saying it myself. Here it is right here on the Best of the Joe Show.
4: We've got some great sound to play for you from the Marlins game, many of you will just sort of understand it. Uh, many of you have had sports handed down by your parents, by your father, by your grandfather, and have handed it down to your kids. You will uh, hear this moment, and it might move you. But being moved in sports, Dugatz, can be a tricky thing. As Jeremy <laughs> Lynn recently learned, uh, he was talking openly about feeling like the NBA has given up on him and he has said because it was I think it was a it was a Taiwanese game show or a Taiwanese he he was on a television show in Taiwan and he was blubbering like you couldn't even tell from the sound that we played that he what he had dissolved at this point he was in tears
5: and in English there's a saying and it says once you hit rock bottom the only way is up (laughs) but rock bottom just seems to keep getting more and more rock bottom for me And so free agency has been tough because I feel like in in some ways the NBA has kind of given up on me. And I always knew if I gave anybody a reason to doubt, they would.
4: Uh, That is courtesy of Good TV. And what he is saying now to his social media critics, Stugatz, is, quote, I think showing weakness is one of the greatest signs of strength. And what I want to ask you as a show that I have heard laugh at Brett Favre's tears when he retires, Laughing right. at Mike Schmidt's tears when he falls into the locker crying because he's retiring.
6: We like to laugh at tears. Well, but right.
4: but there is one space where I feel like we don't do it. Those Hall of Fame speeches, for some reason, we allow it. Like, those Hall of Fame speeches will get moved with you if you're up there and you're blubbering at the very end. Because I guess there's an element of mortality to it where you realize an old guy is now celebrating, uh, you know, his youth all over again at what is the career pinnacle achievement Of his life, and we all understand achieving like that. But that athlete is no longer around to bother us by scoring goals or hitting home runs against us or. Uh, you know, beating our team with uh, a pick six.
6: There's also the element with the Hall of Fame. It's a culmination. It's a celebration. It's an emotional moment. You expect the tears. You're kind of like if you if a guy stands up there and there are no tears, you're wondering how much it it actually means to him.
4: Well, this is a funny thing, right? Because uh here you criticize Jeremy Lin because it means too much <laughs> to him. Over there, you criticize John Wall because it doesn't mean enough to him. Like we we do this thing where the person has to care exactly the amount that we care.
6: We criticize Jeremy Lynn because he had Lynn's sanity. He's made about fifty million dollars no, and he has no, a degree no. from Harvard I'll, and a whole I'll life 50 to live. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Come on, way better. I mean that's why we make fun of him. He's thirty, no, he's got his whole no, life ahead of you, him.
4: You right? make fun of him because you're incapable of empathy. You don't make fun of him like it's just <laughs> it's easy to make fun of Jeremy Lynn. Uh but as you look at what it is that happens here when he says, I think showing weakness is one of the greatest signs of strength. Who are the guys that moved you when they dissolved. Like, give me the list outside of the Hall of Fame when someone has fallen apart. One of your heroes has fallen apart in front of you and admit it, because I told, I've told i told you this story before. Ricky Williams one time during one of these seasons with the Dolphins was the leader of the team, but he's quiet and he had social anxiety disorder and he wasn't sure if he should lead by being a vocal leader. And he was about to make a speech in front of his team Uh, And he knew he was going to break down. He knew he'd break down while making the speech. And so what he thought to himself for a minute was, you know what? These guys can't be trusted with my vulnerability. And then he didn't do it. Like, I can't give them that. I can't lead that way. And so I'm asking you again, give me the guy or the woman you've been watching. And they fall apart. And we're not laughing at it. We're actually moved, and we ourselves may have a catch in the throat or a or a sting in the eyes because Jeremy Lin—the the, the issue with Jeremy Lin—like, Jeremy Lin's a pioneer, okay? He means a lot to a certain group of people, and that Linsanity was a novelty, at least in part, because he represents a people in a sport where they are not
6: represented. And again, for people who don't know, Linsanity, there was a two-month period where Jeremy Lin was the most famous athlete in the world— he
4: uh, certainly in America, for, he, he got the most news coverage in America for about a month. And we've said before that the worst part about being poor is if you were rich first, like as bad as poor is being rich first and then being poor hurts. And so, of course, it's going to hurt this guy at the end. As Vince Carter hangs on in his 22nd year, the Atlanta Hawks keep him on. They don't need him. They're just doing right by a guy who is done right by everybody in the league. Jeremy Lin wants to find his way back into the league. But he was rich, man. And you say, well, he's got all that money. He ain't thinking about that when he's sobbing on that stage on television. He's not thinking about all the money he made. What he's thinking about is it's all gone now. The NBA, all I needed to do was give the NBA a chance to turn on me, and it did.
5: I'm curious if this is something that's pretty distinctly American because seeing it in soccer all the time, especially at the end of international competition when soccer players are coming from you know something. War torn countries, impoverished countries. Uh, Colombia is not impoverished, but Hamas Rodriguez weeping on the ground after losing a heartbreaker to oh, England in no, the yeah, World I'll Cup. I'll tell
4: you, you know what? I'll tell you the one that now just came to mind because I was trying to think of give me one. And this one's unfair, right? Because this is what it takes sometimes to reach the sports fan and the sports fan's humanity when the sports fan wants to mock the amount of money you make or your glory or is jealous of everything about your life the one everyone was moved by is michael jordan wins the championship runs back to the locker room falls on the floor and starts weeping but it took the death of his dad and him being as great as that for you to connect with him over there
6: <laughs> and winning
4: and, right and winning everything yeah, and right. he had if to win he it, yes. and everything had to joker be, I mean. everything had to be exactly perfect and also except for the absolutely imperfect murder of his father for you to to find the place where an athlete's tears were not something that you mocked.
5: Right, look at all the crap Chris Bosh got.
4: Yeah, for being vulnerable, for being in front of you. I mean, man, Chris Bosh got all of it, right? Not masculine enough. Uh, Chris Bosh got hit from every angle and was confident enough to deflect it at every turn because he didn't care very much what you thought. But when you talk about the moving stuff in sports, okay, the stuff that connects us, the stuff fathers and sons or mothers and daughters, however it is that you had sports passed down to you. This was a Marlins game yesterday, and the moment was perfect, except for, you know, there weren't nearly enough fans in attendance because the Marlins don't deserve very many fans, (laughs) and they don't deserve very many moments like this. But Isan Diaz was uh, up in his major league debut, okay? He's one of the guys that they got in the – terrible yelich trade that's only terrible because yelich is going to win all the mvps from now on uh and this is his major league debut and his father is being interviewed on television during the at bat so i believe the audience that this will connect even if you don't care about baseball even if you don't care about the marlins i believe that this will connect with all of you because who doesn't understand this
2: we managed to get to this point so yeah You know, we're extremely happy for him. Is this
1: an emotional day for you?
2: Very, very emotional.
4: Someone yelling there? Did we just homer off to Grom? I couldn't hear clear. I couldn't hear clearly. Is that what I heard? You couldn't hear clearly because there are seven people there. Okay, the, the the only people there are the Diaz family, so it, it all sounds a bit hollow and distorted.
6: It sounds sad. I mean, it's exciting for the parents in that moment, but. The entirety of that whole thing sounds really, really sad.
5: Yeah, it kind of sounds like it's in Marlins Park. I thought it was just based off the uh, the acoustics, but no, this happened in New York.
2: We managed to get to this point, so yeah, well, you know, we're, we're extremely happy for him. Is this an emotional day for you? Very, very emotional. <laughs>
4: Antonio, put it on the poll, please. Did you hear in that sound someone say, did we just Homer off the Grom?
6: That happened on the road, but it would have sounded exactly the same had it happened at home.
4: Yes. Well, I thought uh, because of the sound, I thought it did happen at home. Uh, the Kobe fraud alert, uh, which we've been doing for a number of different years here, going back to when Luther Campbell of 2 Live Crew called his Italian rap song, Sewage, sewage worse than sewage, Sui. Um, let's get, let thank you. Uh, let's get the fraud Kobe alert that we don't have imaging for because Mike Ryan is saying Kobe Bryant uh, is saying something that is a bit counterfeit here. It's not something that you would associate with the cutthroat mercenary champion that Kobe Bryant is.
1: Yeah, we live in an environment now where everything is extremely structured for children and sports used to be something that kids go out and do for fun. Yeah. But now it's become so regimented where parents are starting to kind of inject their own experiences or past failures, if you will, onto their children, and it just takes the fun out of it.
5: Kobe. (laughs) Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bean Bryant. The guy in 2014 who went to the practice... And yelled at Mitch Kupchak, these mother bleepers aren't doing bleep for me, as he torched them in a Jimmy Butler-type practice, in which I'm sure he shot four for 31. <laughs> that Kobe Bryant. This was in 2014. That Kobe Bryant. What did he shoot this? that
4: year? What percentage did he shoot? Was that, that wasn't the year... No, that was long after he ruined Smush
5: Parker because uh,
6: Smush, Smush, Smush yeah. Parker
4: didn't want to be playing with him.
6: He shot 37% from the field that year.
5: <laughs> that Kobe Bryant. <laughs> the Kobe Bryant that tried to trade Pau Gasol after he won a title with him. That Kobe Bryant.
4: <laughs> well, uh, he is saying the right thing. Uh, let me just hear that again. Are we sure? Are we totally positive that this isn't just shade on the side that he's throwing at LeBron? <laughs>
1: You know, we live in an environment now oh, where everything boy. is extremely structured for children. And sports used to be something that kids go out and do for fun. Yeah. But now it's become so regimented where parents are starting to kind of inject their own experiences or past failures, if you will, onto their children. And it just takes the fun out of it.
6: Definitely a shot at LeBron. No doubt. About I didn't it. even see it. Great time observation outside. by you, man. Oh
5: man, that's an absolute barb at AAU
6: dad. <laughs> <laughs> I uh,
4: I love that you guys are like legitimately surprised when I have an observation that you hadn't thought of. Like just shocking. It, <laughs> it was
6: amazing. I mean, it was great. Congratulations! To, just
4: to, see, just wow. to see the amazing surprise on all your faces. All right. So let uh, Antonio is confident. He speaks in staccato bursts. He is the opposite. of... Of Billy, who better get back from his honeymoon? Uh, honeymoon in a hurry, <laughs> honeymoon maybe. Uh, he's too repressed <laughs> yeah, for probably that. Probably not. Yeah, probably not.
5: Baby, uh, oh, I miss Greg. Uh,
6: <laughs> <laughs>
4: let's do start of the day short version here.
6: Start of the day, start of the day. It is the start of the day. Start of the day, start of the day. It is the start of the day. Start of the day, start of the day. It is the start of the day. Start of the day, start of the day, it is the start of the day.
2: (laughs) What do
5: you got, Antonio? Boys, football is back. Yes. Yeah. That's a great stat. You like awesome. that? Oh, that's awesome. good. That is it? Awesome. <laughs> awesome. There, it there, it there, it yeah, there you know, go.
4: Yeah. I know.
6: That's enough. You get that's right enough. Hold
4: right we'll, on. We'll get back there. to whatever that's it is cool. you've got nah. next. That's enough for now. Very efficient. We'll come back to that because I got twenty important baseball facts I got to get to. We'll come back to you. Football is back is sufficient enough. A wild success from you.
6: I hope he has a second stat. <laughs> it oh, doesn't yeah. even matter.
4: That one's good enough. I mean, that's not, the best one. He will not top that one. You no. You're not going to be able to top that. No, 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 one you just had <laughs> uh so according to espn.com number 20 baseball home run facts 2019 is on pace to smash the all-time home run record of 6105 why it's amazing it's going to be more than any team has ever hit any any uh sport has ever had in the season number 19 there have been 131 home runs of at least 450 feet this season there were just eighty two of those all of the
5: past seasons. Can you skip to the top ten? Just realize it's baseball and I'm Man. like bah.
4: Number eighteen, we've had more five homer games by a team this season than in any full season before this. Number seventeen, there have been one thousand plus home runs in every full month of the season so far. Why, that's amazing. Major League Baseball has rewritten the record book for homers every month so far this season, and every time we thought there was no way this home run pace could keep up, it does. Number 16, are you sure you want me to go to top 10? There have already been more home runs this year than in the entire 2014 season and the 2011 season. (laughs)
6: Bring it back.
5: That's pretty good. This isn't good. (laughs) <laughs> it's not a good list no 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 the list is fine i'm just saying it's not good for the sport uh, yeah. uh
4: well that one's interesting because i always thought that home runs are always good for the sport i think it's all the other stuff yeah. that's not good for the sport that they're all o- that everyone's just
5: going for yeah they're run. just going for that
6: well the problem is everyone's hitting home runs I, I you know mitch garvin i told you yesterday has more home runs than bryce harper it's absurd mitch garver uh
4: uh, number 13, because I'm skipping here, three players had 30-plus home runs at the All-Star break. Why it's so amazing. Although Christian Yelich, Pete Alonzo, and Cody Bellinger have all slowed a bit in the second half, they still have legitimate shots to reach the 50-homer mark this season, as does Mike Trout. No matter where they finish the season, the trio of Yelich, Alonzo, and Bellinger became the first since 1998 to each hit 30 bombs by the break. Number 12, there have already been 16 three-homer games so far In 2019, (laughs) why that's amazing. The mark of most three homer games in one season, 22 in 2001, is well within reach. Just last week, Cruz went deep three times in a game for the second time in a nine-day span. (laughs)
6: Come on. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Come
4: on. There were four consecutive days when a player hit three home runs from July 23rd to July 26th. Robinson Cano, Paul DeJong... Nelson Cruz, Mookie Betts, the four day span was the most consecutive days with a three homer game by a player in Major League history.
6: We finally arrived at 10. Whose Num- balls are juiced?
4: Number 10, so far this season, 207 players have hit at least 10 home runs. Whose balls are juiced? <laughs> number 9, the Orioles are yielding 3.15 home runs per game when they face the Yankees. Whose balls are juiced? <laughs> The special, this is number eight. The Orioles have already allowed 223 home runs this year. Whose balls
6: are juiced? (laughs) The Orioles
4: are so bad. Number seven, when the Twins hosted the Yankees last month, the teams combined to hit 20 home runs in the series, and the balls traveled a total of 7,875 feet. (laughs) Whose balls are juiced? (laughs) The Twins are the first team in Major League history to hit 50 home runs in three calendar months within a season. Whose balls are
6: juiced? They can mash.
4: The Twins are five home runs away from setting their franchise record with 50 games left to play. (laughs) Whose
5: balls are juiced? They're getting more amazing.
6: Mashing it.
4: The Yankees hit a home run in 91 games through July 31st. (laughs) Whose balls are juiced? (laughs) The Marlins, I'm sorry, the Mariners hit or allowed a home run in 107 straight games. Whose balls are juiced? There are 14 teams on, you're basically guaranteed to see home run if you go to a Mariners game. There are 14 teams on pace to break their single season home run marks. Whose balls are juiced? And finally, the Minnesota Twins are on pace to break baseball's single season home run record of 267.
6: Whose balls are juiced? Seems like the Twins. (laughs) Cha-ching, cha-ching, time for ads. I mean, the Twinkies, what a nice story this year, huh? It is. I'm still trying to get over that side of the day, Antonio. It was killer.
0: Crying, yelling, juice balls, that's Dan Lebitard. And you can hear him on this station Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Got one more best of segment for you. This next one has gone to the animals. Will I play it from the Joe Rose Show again? Or maybe another Dan Lebitard clip? Maybe I'll go wild card with Stephen A. Smith. Who knows? Maybe even something from the Hawk and Crowder Show. A couple of minutes ago, Crowder and I were talking about eating alligator. I'm from New Orleans. I eat all types of crazy stuff. Keep it tuned to find out here on the best of the Joe Show. this is the best of the joe show where monday through friday between six and seven play back some of the best clips that you've heard earlier in the day on this radio station i am dan day hit us up twitter at 560 wqam and at Dan Day Radio, WQAM wants you to cool off and hang 10 during the summer Flow Fest and Landshark viewing party. Mmm, love that Landshark beer. Going to be happening at Margaritaville Hollywood Beach Resort, August 9th, 4 to 6 p.m. Enter at Margaritaville.com for a chance to win a $100 Margaritaville gift card and a Flow Rider Sessions with a pro. Enjoy ice-cold buckets of Landshark beer for just 20 bucks. Log on to WQAM.com for more details. Got the third segment of the show happening right now. It's all gone to the animals. That's right. Stephen A. Smith is on vacation. I didn't get to capture Huckman, Crowder, myself, talking about eating alligator, like I said, from New Orleans. I love gator with that Creole sauce. They said, what's in the Creole sauce? I said, like most things in New Orleans, you don't ask. You just eat it and drink it and love it. And you got to be loving the Dan Lebitard Show. Loving its new time right here on this station. Actually, not a new time, but it's a new station. So it's a new time and new station for us. Ten to one. Earlier, he was joined by Ron McGill of Zoo Miami. And they're talking all types of craziness like sloths, pooping, beer, bee murder. i got beer on the mind. Tom Brady of the Animal Kingdom. And if you need muscle to kind of rough someone up, who in the Animal Kingdom would you go to? Plus, maybe a little bit too soon of a Twitter joke. Enjoy it right now on the Best of the Joe.
4: Dave, you're on
0: with Ron McGill of Zoo
4: Miami. Go ahead.
2: Hey, Ron. Uh, what's with this giant sloth and why does it move so slow?
7: <laughs> well, well, the giant, the giant sloth is actually extinct. Uh, that was an animal that was actually found up here. Uh, you can find fossil records of that up in, as far as north as Montana, and this thing stood well over 10 feet tall as a monster sloth. Uh, having said that, the smaller sloths, the reason why they move so slowly is basically that they are, have a very slow metabolism. They feed on very rough leaves that don't provide a tremendous amount of nutrition. As a matter of fact, you know, they only go to the bathroom once a week. That's how slow their digestive system is. That's the only time they come down out of the tree. They just come out of the tree to go to the bathroom and they go right back up. That's when they're most susceptible to predators. So it's just part of their very slow metabolism. They're great swimmers, though. They can swim pretty quickly. Steve, that was a burst of
4: information, none of which I knew. I, we've, we've been talking to this guy for 10 years, and I didn't know any of that. Steve, you're on with Ron McGill of Zoom Miami. Go ahead.
7: Hey, Ron. Um, so about a week ago, I killed a bee that was flying around in my room. And since then, i uh, found about, like, six or seven dead ones, like, lying around on the floor, like, one on the window sill and stuff. Uh, wondering if you might know what's going on there. Thanks. You know, it's hard to say. Uh, You might have something that's actually drawing them in. I wouldn't be worried like there's a hive or something out there. I don't think it's anything like that you have to worry about. It's just bees can get attracted to certain scents, certain colors sometimes. Um, So there might be something to attract them in there. They come in and they get either overheated when you're out of the house or they get stuck in a place where they can't get enough uh, cool air and they'll die. But I wouldn't panic about it. Bees are good things. What I'm panicking about is that how many bees are dying across the country. That's what I'm panicking about.
6: Ron, is there a Tom Brady of the animal kingdom, an an animal that gets better, better looking, stronger, faster with age?
7: I don't know about stronger or faster, but but certainly better looking. If you look at a lot of the male hoof stock, you know, whether it be the antelope, the deer, uh, even the bovines like the buffalo, you know, the older they get, they get their big racks, their big horns, their their massive size. Uh, They don't necessarily get faster. They could get a little bit stronger, but... Certainly, these animals, you know, the, the, the biggest antlers, the biggest horns are the oldest animals. The older you get, the bigger you get in that sense. And then you get to a certain point where all of a sudden you kind of crash. You know, you can't digest your food anymore. You lose your teeth. You can't eat. Uh, you may have a huge size, but then you kind of wither away and die. And That happens pretty quickly in the wild. What scares you the most about bees around the country dying? Uh, the fact that they are probably the single greatest link to our agriculture and economic sustainability that we have when it comes to the animal kingdom, to the animal world. Um, you lose bees, you lose your largest pollinators in the world. When you start paying $25 for a tomato or any other fruit or vegetable that depends on bees to pollinate it, that's when people will start panicking about bees, and that's when it's going to be too late. But there are, there are diseases uh, from pesticides and other types of funguses that are causing these, these hive collapses across the country that are really catastrophic, and people need to start paying attention to this if they aren't already because this is could be, if you hate bees, if you hate animals, but you like living and you like paying a reasonable price for your fruit and vegetables, you better start learning to love bees.
4: Okay, I got to tell the audience what just happened here. What happened? Uh Stugatz is passing me a note that says, "Have we asked him about grasshoppers in Vegas?" It was mosquitoes <laughs> in Vegas. All you did no. was derail, wasn't it? No it, was no, it was grasshoppers. It was grasshoppers. I thought oh, 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 I'm going to go oh, sit in the penalty box. Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I thought it was
5: the plague. For you.
4: I thought it was the plague in the No, it was, I it was was plague. the plague I was in Colorado. Yeah. Colorado. That was Colorado, the and the public.
6: plague had its great run from 1348 to 1352. Yeah. I mean, Okay, my that, bad. That wow. Really me. embarrassing. All so right, I'm going to go sit in the pen. No, 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 you're we're good. We're you can stay here. A no, hey, yeah. Where are you
3: going? Hey! <laughs> So,
6: so grasshoppers, Vegas, what happened? Uh, it's just
7: basically what they call kind of a plague. It's a plague of grasshoppers. It happens every, every several years. It's just this time, the way the winds were blowing, they ended up in a place where a lot of people are. So you saw the incredible density of these animals. But if you go to places like in Africa, when these locusts come through, they wipe out miles of vegetation, miles of crops in literally hours. They, they have this insatiable appetite. So they call it the plague because they actually will wipe out food crops. They're an incredibly destructive animal. Um, you know, we get a, a similar thing here in Florida, not necessarily with the flying grasshoppers, but we have these things called lovers that come out at this time of year. They they started as these little black grasshoppers, and they turn into these massive grasshoppers. Nothing eats them because they produce a toxin in their skin, so when birds eat them, they puke, so they stop eating them. So they have literally no predators, and for about one to two months, they devastate the vegetation, the vegetation here in Florida.
6: Brett, you're on ESPN Radio with Ron McGill. Go ahead
7: yeah uh, I have a friend that
0: owes me two hundred and fifty dollars. What's the best animal to get that money back from him? Hmm. thanks
7: well, it depends what your friend is like. You know if like I were your friend and you needed two hundred and fifty dollars, like, I'd tie me up and just throw some roaches at me. I'd give you whatever you needed because I hate roaches. but having said that, you know <laughs> snakes. Depen- you know, people have these inborn fears. I've seen people, I think snakes are the coolest thing in the world, but I've seen people look at a snake and start perspiring, start crying. I mean, like an uncontrollable reaction. So it all depends on your friend. Yeah, I mean, you don't really want to physically hurt your friend. You just want to scare your friend. So you've got to find out a little bit about him. What is he like? What is he afraid of? It could be as simple as a bug, man.
6: All right, Ron, let's go to uh, this week's video. What do you have the video. for us?
7: Yeah. Okay, let's see here. I'm pulling it up. Oh, a suriyama. Suriyama's a neat little bird. Let's see what this It's on a golf course. What's he doing on the golf? He's picking up a golf ball. Well, oh, you know what they do? They use rocks and they kill things with rocks. And sometimes they take the animals and say, it's got a golf. It's running, running across the golf course. It goes, Oh, it's going to the pavement. It's going to the walkway. The cartway. It's on the cartway. It's gonna slam the guy. I can tell. Boom! Oh, it slams the golf ball Oh it scares itself as the golf ball comes out of the sky after he slams it. But well, he thinks it's not dead, so he's running around. He's gonna go get it. He gets the golf ball again. Let's get to the hard surface because when you slam it on the hard surface he knows it's going to kill it, but he doesn't realize the golf ball is not alive, so it's not going to die. And it's more alive. It bounces. It goes way up in the air, and it scares him away. It flies away. The bird runs. You know, why isn't that thing dead yet? You can see the bird going to the top of the hill, looks down, and he goes, why isn't the golf ball dead? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's it. That's all the video is. The Suriyama trying to kill a golf ball. Have a great week, guys.
4: <laughs> if we were able to get rid of mosquitoes, uh, what would it do to the ecosystem?
7: You know, it's hard to say, Dan. I mean, mosquitoes are certainly a huge portion of food for animals like bats, a lot of fish, uh, some birds. Uh, having said that, I'm not sure that if we eliminated mosquitoes, there wouldn't be some other insect that they would adapt to feed on. I, I, I really would like to think that we could eliminate mosquitoes and, and the ecosystem wouldn't collapse. But, you know, Mother Nature has a reason for everything, though we might not see it. For me, I look at mosquitoes, other than the importance of food for things like bats and some fish and other birds, as just one of the greatest killers of humans in the world i mean they're, they really E-grade are the between... greatest killer right or hippos yeah, exactly they are they are no 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 mosquitoes kill far more people than hippos as far as transmission of disease goes um and not to mention what a tremendous nuisance they are so you know i'd like to think that gosh we, we could get rid of mosquitoes, but I know better, Dan. I know there's just something in Mother Nature going to say. There's some link in that chain that mosquitoes are an integral part of that we don't know that if we eliminate them, everything else collapses. So I wouldn't want to take that chance, even though I'd like to believe we could get rid of them.
2: Thank you,
4: sir. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a great week. Take care. So we'll get to this Rick Ross story in a second. But what I wanted to ask you was what happened with the Marlins and the Rays, where the Rays make fun of the Marlins on Twitter and the Miami Marlins come back with, you're literally the animal that killed Steve Irwin, log off. I thought that was funny. I thought it was on the line, but I love that these social media accounts for these teams have a semblance of young people personality. but. David Sampson, the former Marlins team president, who was terrible at public relations, didn't seem to care what anyone thought about anything, thought that was a fireable offense. And the Marlins have released a statement, quote, this was a regrettable exchange by our otherwise creative social media team. Unfortunately, in this medium, sometimes we swing and miss. And this was definitely a miss. Spokesman said, according to Andy Slater, the matter has been addressed internally. That's probably the way you do have to handle it, given that there's a death involved. There's a death involved right. with a human being, but it feels like this apology is just, quote, too soon, like because otherwise it's funny if it's not too soon, right?
6: Well, how long has it been?
4: I mean, um, I don't know whether it's been too soon or not. I never know when it's been too soon, but there is some time that goes by where people will agree, hey, that uh, we can make the Abe Lincoln jokes.
5: Now. Yeah, thirteen years. It's been 13 years.
4: So too soon? Like, explain it to me because I'm legitimately, I saw it and I'm like, man, I wish all the social media accounts behave like this. I wish all of them had a little bit of attitude, not dangerous attitude, just a little bit of attitude where you can get something other than the antiseptic scrubbed up professional version of things. And if anyone should do it, it's the Marlins because they got nothing else going on.
0: I agree with you as a rule for teams and having fun with social media, but I did See that tweet, and my I just gave I didn't say they should be fired, but I just. But gave, you cringe I, a little. bit. I just yeah. gave a little. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's going to become a thing. Too soon. Thirteen
6: years is too soon. It just uh, it, it didn't feel necessary. The tweet. You, you know?
0: I mean
4: Stugat's <laughs> going to win this one too. Stugat's is going to take his victories after I accused him of resting on his on his laurels, and now he's coming out here and saying, you know what? I think uh, you're going to be an advocate for peace. Really?
6: I mean. Instead of the messenger, too, it's Samson. I mean, he thought winning manager of the year was a fireball offense.
0: That does it for the best of the Joe Show. Download the podcast along with others at WQAM.com. Real quick, want to give you the lineup for tomorrow, 6 to 10 a.m. It's the Joe Rose Show. 10 to 1, Dan Levitard, 1 to 3, Stephen A. Smith, 3 to 6, Hawk and Crowder. I'm Dan Day. I'm going home to eat some minus sandwiches and drink some cheap beer. Spain and company is next here on 560, the Joe WQAM. Later, slug.